Welcome to episode one of The Reload, how bad teams get good and how good teams get better. Uh, I'm your co-host, Zach Kinderchuk, and joining me is uh, my uncle, Bob Strum, Strummer, Bob, whatever you want to call him, uh, former, uh, he was the, the director of pro scouting for the Columbus Blue Jackets, former head coach of the Regina Pats, uh, I watches more NHL than anybody else in the whole world, I think. Uh, Bob, it's so great to, to talk to you and have you on today. Well, this is a this is a real honor. It's a maiden voyage for me. Something that I've kind of aspired to to share uh, stories and knowledge uh, with the hockey fans all across the, the country, and uh, couldn't think of a better person to do it with than Zach Kinderchuk. Let's let's start with one of the big issues facing the Flyers. This, yeah, I'm a Flyers fan, obviously. My dad played. He played for Pittsburgh, too, but my heart lies in Philly. Right. Let's start with uh, what's been deemed the Provy problem. Ivan Provorov, who was supposed to be the cornerstone of the Flyers defensive core for the foreseeable future, had some certainly some brilliant moments, kind of remind us a little bit of the days of Eric Desjardins, where you could just count on him offensively, defensively, and just to being clutch. And this year it's fallen apart more than anybody expected. I think there was, if there was one player we thought going into this season was going to be solid at the very least, it was Ivan Provorov and he has been anything but, and there's been some startling stats coming out about his production coming out on Twitter. He's got one primary assist five on five in his last 111 games. And that's, bad one primary assist and what, what the rumors coming out now are, is that he's just turned out to be somewhat of a difficult person to deal with in the locker room which of course is huge when you're talking about a team's culture you you know ivan as well as i know ivan what's the problem here and is it a problem that the flyers should deal with or is it something that we should just pass on to another team well i think that when i think that when the Flyers moved on from Gostaspare. They were expecting Provorov to step into that role as an offensive juggernaut uh, type player, uh, put up numbers, run the power play, uh, be a dangerous offensive element uh, from the back end, which is a really important part of the game, as you know today. Um, and if 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 you know, he just doesn't seem to be engaged. There doesn't seem to be any urgency to his game. I, he looks bigger to me. I'll use that as a nice word. I, I, I saw, I mean, in junior hockey in Brandon, this guy was automatic number one defenseman uh, uh, at that time and projected as a number one defenseman in the National Hockey League. And I, 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 I find it hard to believe that, that, that a kid from Russia making $6.75 million, that's U.S. dollars, not rubles, uh, a year would uh, would be any kind of problem. So if he's a bit of a problem, then he's got a gratitude problem. He's not grateful for the opportunity that he's been given and the money that he's making and the opportunity to play for one of the legendary teams in the NHL. And and that's just an assumption on my part. But when a player breaks down, a lot of times it's mental. It's like we have a saying that hockey's 50% mental 
and the other 50% is mental too. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're not, if you're not stoked, if you're not ready when you get to the rink, if you're not in love and practice and love and playing the games, which are easier than practicing, um, I don't know. That's a, that, that's an interesting perspective from your standpoint on pro golf, but I've seen the Flyers play at least 15 times this year. And he has been without question, a disappointment. He's been probably, I would say the biggest disappointment this year. Um, because he he was someone that we thought would go go forward and actually be the, one of the the leaders of this team and it at 6.75 million as you as you pointed out like we've we paid him to be one of the leaders of this team so if you're the flyers right now what do you do well the only the only fly in the ointment so to speak is Ellis was projected to be his partner yes Ellis is a veteran an experienced guy, a terrific player from the time he played in Windsor Jr. And I'm just wondering, after you and I talked it prior to the show, whether Ellis's sudden departure after, what, five or six games, what is the story there, Zach? We don't know. It's it's a mystery. Because it, the, NHL, the NHL injury reports are so vague upper body injury, lower body injury. We're not exactly sure. Yeah. Uh, and Ryan Ellis certainly had like a, a solid five games, I think, that he ended up playing for the team this year. And yes, Provorov and Ellis on paper were a really good pairing. So but, are we being fair? Sorry to interrupt, but are we being fair with uh, without taking the an- ancillary uh, information into account in terms of Provorov's play? Yeah, I think we are because you still should shine, even though you you didn't have the dream pairing that you got. And it, it, even if you don't shine, you shouldn't be a detriment to your team. And that's what Provorov has really become. Well, Not I'll tell you what Provorov's done for the Flyers. He's tied with Justin Braun for the most goals this year. So Justin Braun is not a goal scorer. No, I know. <laughs> I say that with my with tongue in cheek a little bit there. But no, Provorov, man, when you... You take certain players. Uh, you know, I be, believe that uh, the championships are built through the draft. And I threw this by you the other day that every team that's won the the uh, Stanley Cup in this century has had at least 10 of their own draft picks on their roster. And uh, Provost certainly was projected as a core guy mm-hmm. for the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and he looked like he was trending in that direction the first couple of years. But certainly hasn't been lately. So we gave away Gosses Pierre, as, as you mentioned. We gave, gave we paid another team to take him. Yeah, and, then, and gave gave them a second round pick plus Gosses Pierre. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, we we should just look at things through hindsight. When you saw that deal initially, because there was lots of calls to get rid of him because he makes a lot of makes a lot of risky, we'll say risky plays that don't work out well. There's a lot of, you know, defensive zone giveaways that turned out to be goals for the other team. But of course he is always an offensive spark because he's proved to be on arguably the second worst team in the league. I'm now going to dub the Flyers as the worst team in the league. The Arizona Coyotes, he's had a really good year. He's had, he, I, he's pretty close to being a plus player on that team, which is pretty remarkable. 
not that he was ever known necessarily for his defense. He was known for his offense. He's provided offense for the Coyotes this year. And I, unfortunately, uh, Arizona's Coyotes games are not aired on TV. <laughs> Kidding, of course. But, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's, but what I've seen of him is he's been a really – and I, I don't know if this is just out of spite what kind of year he would have had with Philadelphia. But in hindsight, obviously that deal looks really stupid. And it was a, it was a salary offloading deal, obviously. They needed some cap space to bring in other people. But – I, I would I would find it difficult to track down any Flyers fan that would be happy about getting rid of him, getting rid of Ghost at this point, seeing what he's gone and done. And I guess this brings back uh, to a, a topic that comes up a lot with, with the Flyers. There's a culture problem here, and Provorov seems to be kind of embody that right now. It's we always see players struggle here or do well here but then go on and achieve another level of of greatness with another team and i don't know if you have any explanation for that but ghost here was kind of lost uh the i know there's a lot of people now that are like oh we shouldn't have got rid of him but it, back when they did it they, people were happy it, you know obviously jeff carter mike richards um there's just all these players that go on and achieve better things I don't know what explanation you have for that because you've been in and out of locker rooms, both as a coach and as a GM, what are the flyers doing wrong? And I don't know if there's anybody that you want to blame personally, please do. If there is <clears throat> culture wise here, where have we gone astray? <clears throat> well, I, 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 firstly, let's address Gosh despair. Yeah. He's a spark plug. Okay. This guy, he's got 10 goals. The whole flyer defense has 20 for Arizona. He's got 37 points. The highest scoring defenseman in Philadelphia has 21, Travis Sanheim. And the way the game's played today, it, uh, a lot of offense is generated from the defense, from the back end. I mean, mm -hmm. you talk about bonehead plays, or that's a bad word. I apologize. You talk about giveaways or whatever you want to call them. I mean, Thomas Shabbat, Quinn, you know, these, these electric guys, uh, Kale McCarr, you don't see him give it away very often, but these offensive guys, these electric guys, I mean, they're, they're, they're playing on the edge, but they generate offense. They generate energy. They're spark plugs for a team. And a guy like Gustav Bear, I mean, he, he is the driving force of the Arizona Coyotes, whatever, whatever, that's worth these days, but you know, Schmaltz is starting to go. Clayton Keller is an unbelievable forward. This kid, uh, you know, he's gonna get 70 points plus for Arizona. But I just think that I, I think that if there's a problem in today's game, and I really believe this, it's over coaching. Bill Belichick says culture over strategy. That's his, that's his motto. And one of, he's got many, but, um, and I just think that instead of allowing players like Gosh Despair to play the game, they're pigeonholed into certain expectations for the team. And that's where strategy comes into play and, and, and sometimes hurts players. And when they go somewhere else, um, they're allowed to play their game in, in, uh, 
in Arizona, they needed a player like that badly. And he runs their power play. He's an electric player. He's their spark plug. And that's uh, that's God been knows yeah. that God knows that the Flyers could use a guy like that right now on their power play, in their dressing room, on the ice, and um, unfortunately, he's not there anymore. No, he's not. We don't really have anybody running the power play. Keith Yandel was kind of the power man's ghost that came in and started off somewhat strong, but at this point, I, I really thought that they would cut him after the con consecutive game streak when he beat Doug Jarvis but is still kind of running the point uh, on the first unit uh, quite a bit. And that's, that's a massive, massive deficiency as we've seen the, the power play now is historically bad. So if you're, if you, you know, looking into uh, bringing up, this has been your, your job for, you know, that had been your job for over a decade, looking into bringing up young players. We do have a guy named Cam York who is now with the flyers, but, um, how much do you think that you just turn it over to whatever youth they have with Philadelphia instead of relying on a guy who's 36 and way past his prime, who's had an Keith Yandel has had one of the most understated great careers that I think anyone's heard of 500 assists for defenseman is absurd, but it's clearly cooked. Um, for you now, we do have some younger defensemen. We have Sandheim, who's just not even actively involved with the power play at this point, which is ridiculous. Provorov is still involved, but not doing anything with it. I mean, literally, that they lost the Canadians the other night on the power play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Canadians scored a shorthanded goal, yeah. and this is—I I think this is why I wanted your expertise. The Flyers are in this purgatory right now, where we have really no young players to be thoroughly excited about, and well, a lot of veterans with some bad contracts. Um, strategically, what would you be doing? Because our biggest problem is our power play. It play the kids. Play the kids. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, you know, I watched Ottawa play last night. They lost to Arizona. And they got guys in their lineup. They got four or five kids in Belleville that are better than the guys they're playing now. Maybe they're trying to showcase some veteran players to hope to get draft picks at the deadline. That It'll be interesting to see what they do after the deadline. But in, in Philadelphia's place, case, they, they've been out of it. Yeah, since, since Christmas. Is Christmas time fair? Yeah, Christmas and, is fair. And, and, you know. Before then even, but. You've got York down in, in on the farm. And I'm not sure York is a first pair defenseman, uh, five on five, but he's certainly a power play guy and a, and a, and a, and a, a skilled guy. And between him and Sanheim, they should be, should have been running the power play since Christmas time. And, and that, you know, in the minors, you learn how to be a pro, but you learn how to play in the NHL, in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And, and so I've always been a great proponent in, in, yeah, you can't win in the NHL without NHL players, but depending on your situation, you, you've got to play your best kids. You know, I think Radcliffe's going to play, uh, Frost is gonna play, but maybe not to the highest end that I thought when he when I first saw him. Um, what do you think his problem is? Because he's got incredible uh, incredible skills. I think he's a little soft. I, I I don't think he goes to the hard areas. I don't think he plays between the dots as much as he should. Uh, a, a person you know well, or Skinnerchuk, uh, that's where he earned his living. He yep. played. Between the dots, <laughs> if you don't get to the blue paint, 
you're not scoring in this league much unless you got a shot like Austin Matthews. So um, I, I, I think that those are the three. I still, I don't, Zamula's been in and out. I thought he was a great signing for them. I think he's still got a chance to play in, in the NHL, big rangey kid, um, you know, if he stays healthy. Um, but, but the, the Flyers are not long on prospects right now. And I believe you build your team through the draft. Yeah. yeah. And so they're on a long road. They're on a long road to recovery. Well, I mean, the joke is it, we're constantly two to three years away. Well, and, and have been since, you know, really 1975, I guess you could say. Yeah. But um, it, we, like I said, we're kind of in this purgatory. We, yeah. we, there's nothing to build on. One thing that we could do that everyone is expecting us to do is to start the reload with trading Claude Giroux at the deadline. Um, he's certainly one of the most, uh, one of the most skilled players that's available for a trade right now. I actually, I can't think of anybody who's more skilled. And I've in the national league over the last 10 years. Yeah. He's, he's had a spectacular career. And it seems it, the feeling is his time with the Flyers is done. Uh, what would you expect, or what would you demand as as a, the Flyers GM in return for someone like Claude Giroux? Would it be a, would it be just purely draft picks, or would it would you want a player NHL ready player uh, to come back in return? I want an NHL player. Unfortunately, um, Giroux's a UFA, so. He only he might only spend a couple of months in. That's a rental. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't need draft picks. They don't score, and yeah. they never score. And if they score, it is not going to be for at least two or three years. So I, I want to play. I need a player, and that's who I want. That's uh, that, of all the teams. Well, obviously, Claude's going to call a shot. I think he wants to go to Colorado. I think Colorado now has room for him now that Landeskog has had a knee. Uh, surgery and won't be there in the on the Kucherov plan now. He'll be back for the playoffs, and um, I want a player. The other big news coming out about the Flyers was we signed Rasmus Ristolainen to a five-year, twenty-five point five million dollar contract. Which, oh, if there was ever a, a moment to give you pause, it was the end of that Canadians game that we just spoke about, where he just slid into the ice trying to block a shot and it just it visually he, he wasn't solely to blame for that shorthanded goal but he's definitely the most cartoonishly bad player in that shorthanded goal and now we have him for another five years uh would you have paid him that money a little rich but uh you know obviously the agent did a good job chuck wanted to sign and wanted to make some news Ristolainen, they wanted to get bigger more physical on the back end he brings that uh, but I've never seen him finish anything that he starts. Not yet, yeah. ever, ever. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, that sometimes irritates teammates <laughs> who have to clean up for big guys like him. Mm-hmm. And de- defensively, I, I this might not be a nice thing to, to say, but he chases his tail in the defensive zone. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, situationally responsible, uh, spatial recognition in the defensive zone. I think he's real short in those areas. 
Could he be the? Could he be the uh, uh, something? A player that you could build a defense around. He could be part of a defense, but in the end, when if you if you get to the point where you're winning, he's a second or a third pair guy, for yeah. sure. He's not a first pair guy. And our first pair of guys we started the show off with was Ivan Provorov. Um, if he goes on the market, what would you expect to see in return for him? Well, the way he's playing, I, I don't know what uh, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get an available defenseman. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a top end defenseman for a previously top end prospect. So you're you're going to come up short in value. I wouldn't move. Him. I wouldn't move. Him. He's got three more years at six, seven, five. That's my project. If I'm running the team, that's my project. I sit down with the guy. I sit down with his family. I I, I cut right to the chase and find out what the problem is. And let's let's get going. He looks heavy to me. Um, you know, respectfully so. I've never seen him in the locker room. Maybe he's cut. Um, you know, the Russians are, are usually, you know, I can go in the locker room and go around the room and go North American, Euro, Euro. North American, North American, Euro, Euro, just by the way they're built. Uh, the Euros are built from the legs down, and the and North Americans, for the most part, a lot of them are built from the waist up. And um, so, uh, but I I don't think you get value for them. So I'm not moving them. I'm I'm working. I'm I'm trying to reclaim that project. That uh, I'm reclaim that real good player that I thought I had. Have you ever seen a player? Can you think of an instance where a player? Because we have the most interim of interim head coaches right now, Mike Yo. I don't think there's a person alive who thinks he's going to be the head coach of the Flyers next year. So why would Provorov listen to him or buy into his his system? Well, at this point in time, no, the season's over. So different guys. He's got three more years, as we said, six, seven, five. So he has no motivation whatsoever. But how does what if you bench them? Ten goals. What if you bench him for a game? me only have 10 goals. I, like, it's not just Provorov. You know, the guy that Atkinson, the guy you traded for, is the leading scorer on the team. And Cam person and a, a motivated guy. So, uh, you know, but that's somebody from the outside. That's somebody from outside your organization that came from a culture of John Tortorella that if you didn't play hard, you didn't play. So, so we, and Mike Mike Yo uh, has hey, he's hinted at that uh, speaking to the press recently that this might be some time to shame some guys into playing better. Talking about healthy scratches, it's not uh, that it's not that that day is long gone. You got to work with guys. There's a fine line now between being a player's boss and being his friend. And if you can't walk that fine line, he ain't playing for you. Yeah. And I don't think anybody was ever motivated to play for Mike Yo. He just was kind of the last oh, man standing. Mike's in a tough spot. I know Mike personally, real good guy. But, um, you know, everybody, including himself, knows he's the interim coach. So when you're the interim coach, that's what you get is interim play. Yeah. So it, is there any way for a coach to, even knowing that they're an interim, because I, I know this season is lost beyond lost this is arguably the worst season in flyers history for for a number of reasons injuries expectations the way that they find new ways to lose it, uh so uh, my friend dave i was on his show and he's like there we're the new detroit lions like we find new spectacular ways to lose and the canadians game 
was a new spectacular way, way to lose. And I, I would describe it as the worst loss of the season. Not that we got beat by the most amount of the most goals. Like we've lost six, nothing or whatever, but the fact that we lost on the power play. And then of course, once we go to overtime, we're going to lose. Um, yeah, I know Mike Yo is in a tough situation, but you, you need to situate yourself to be in a better position next year. Um, is there anything he can do or anything the organization can do at this point to generate more optimism or more cohesion amongst the team to look forward to next season, which is what we're constantly trying to do here in Philadelphia? Well, it's a tough, that's a, that, that, that's a tough go. And um, uh, individually, you hope that players have some pride. Um, you know, and all due respect to the family, Hayes has been an, a, a waste. Uh, Van Riemsdyk, two big contracts. Those guys, you, you, you sign those guys to be leaders on your team, and they're anything but. Mm -hmm. um, so the mercenaries are interesting. I call them mercenaries. You know, once you're, you can go, you can leave once. That's that's in the rules. Okay, mm -hmm. that if you want to leave and leave once, that the rules were made for that. But once you move around, you become a mercenary for me. Yeah, and and so you've got to be careful with those guys. Um, who you sign, they got to be high, high character guys. And um, a lot of them aren't available, obviously. But but uh, um, so I mean, the one time fix in Philadelphia is long since gone. And um, I think it starts in the room. I think it starts with the culture. Um, I think Claude Giroux has been a great player for Philadelphia. But it's time for a change in the leadership group. And they're going to facilitate that. Obviously, if they don't trade him, I wouldn't think they'll re-sign him. Um, and sometimes, you know, like everybody said, oh, you didn't get anything for the guy at the deadline and this and that. Well, you know what you got? You got his money to pay somebody else. Sure. You know, as long as you pay the right guy. And and so uh, yeah, that it starts in the room. Like, hey, another Belichick. Good. I like this one. It's not what I say to the players when I'm in the room. It's what they say about me when I leave the room. Right. And so that's a delicate subject, man. And there's there's been no question, you know, to just use a cross sports reference. Like it's been Bill Belichick's team. I know Tom Brady and him formulated that culture, but there's never been a question that everybody liked and or not necessarily liked, but respected Bill Belichick. And we, it's been so long since the Flyers had that sort of coach. And even when we did, kind of let them go. I, I know a lot of us regret that Craig Berube went off to St. Louis and won a, uh, won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. We, seem, we seem to struggle to find that our truly great leader, uh, both both on the ice and off the ice. Because next now, if Giroux leaves, this, this not only leaves a, a vacancy uh, in terms of talent, but it leaves a vacancy when, in terms of captaincy. And I, I'm, I haven't been the biggest fan of the Giroux era. How could you be, really, when in terms of – he's been a great player. But as a, as a captain, it's been a dark era for the Flyers. And the era parent seemed to be Sean Couturier. And I know he's down with an injury now, but he wasn't playing all that well either. Does that bring up concerns for you? And would you ever just consider, consider bringing Giroux back? Because there's no one else that, on the team right now that I think really deserves – 
the C on their jersey. Well, do your job, right? So you need a strong personality. Doesn't have to be your best player. I mean, Patrice Bergeron is a great captain. Mm-hmm. He's not the most talented player on Boston. Pasternak, Marshawn, they got some good players there. McAvoy. talented, though. But he's talented. At the right, I mean, he he gets it done at the right. I love Patrice Bergeron, don't get me wrong. So is Sean Couturier a Patrice Bergeron-type player? We thought so. I'm not so sure now. Well, it, I mean, to value a player on this season <laughs> – it's yeah, not, maybe unfair. It's not fair, Zach. Really, it's not. So there's got to be some pieces there. Starting in goal, I still believe Carter Hart is a franchise goaltender. <clears throat> He's not right now. He's showing signs of it. Uh, the game against Las Vegas was uh, as good a goaltending as you'll see in the league this year. So I agree. He's still got it in the in his DNA, and. Um, they got to do everything they can to, to facilitate this guy to be their guy. After that, you got to pick and choose your guys. You can't clean the whole place out. Um, but they got to put three or four young guys on the team. They got got to make a couple of of important signings and and hope that they get on the re- road to recovery because they got a long haul. I'm I'm shocked. Did you ever think? In that division, that you'd see both the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers outside of the playoffs. Uh, the Islanders, I think, surprised me more this year than the 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 Flyers did because Lou yeah. Lamorello just never fails. <laughs> well, they you know thirteen games on the road to start the season. that was tough. That was a tough beginning. That and they don't. They, the yeah, ball, I know they went back to Nassau. They just don't really have a home, and they never have. It's uh, it, the uh, the Islanders have to be the most underappreciated dynasties of all time. Exactly. Like that, that you, team, know, though, they, they, you know what? They're starting to play well at home. Uh, when they first got home, it was all new. It was like playing. It was like they were still playing on the road. Yeah. And um, now they're starting to go a little bit. Uh, they're an interesting team that needs to make some changes, and and um, their prospect pool is just okay. So, um, but Lou always figures it out. He'll figure it out. Well, he, 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 he has a habit of going back to his guys. His guys and, usually work out though. Breeze <laughs> starting to play better. Palmieri's starting to play better, but it yeah. took them a long time. And really, if you put Nate Taves, Dawson has had a great season. If you put Taves and Letty on their blue line instead of Char and Green, you're a di- completely different hockey team. Yeah. So, so let's look outside of Philadelphia for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Austin Matthews. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I saw a stat. I think he's got 85 goals in his last 107 games. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. But then he goes and makes a stupid play. And as cursed as the Flyers have seemed, can you imagine being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? It's been since 1967. You have the most hard, the most hardcore. Like if it, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about media representation. Even when the Flyers are good here, we're still not talked about as much as the Eagles, the Phillies, the Sixers. We're always fourth place in Toronto. It's just even when the Raptors win, Maple Leafs are front news, or front page news. Yeah, and they haven't won a cup since '67. They haven't won a playoff series in frigging forever. 
and they have this generational talent to you know use that overused term uh in austin matthews who goes out on another outdoor game which the 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 nhl needs to really taper back how many outdoor games there are because the the magic of them is sort of waning i agree and cross checks a no-name sabers defenseman for no reason in a first overall pick Stalin is their franchise guy so Okay, but for me, every Sabres player is a no-name Sabres player now that Jack Eichel's left. Yeah, that's I mean, why remember a Sabre? Why why do that as Austin Matthews? He got a, and I think he was very lucky to only get a two-game suspension. Well, it's an emotional game. It, 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 you know what? Like, you can't, you can't, when you're out there and guys are after your head, you're the best player on the other team, and he takes cheap shots and you know, he, people haul him down and there's no penalty and this and that. And, and they, they're down in front of 25,000 people in Hamilton to the Buffalo Sabres. And he got frustrated and he reacted. Why, why doesn't he just fight him? I think that what, what, what struck me about it is that I, I just felt, Austin, you're potentially going to become the face of this league at some point. Yeah. If you're not already, you're a top five player. And this isn't the kind of this is the kind of cheap shot that I think turns a lot of fans off, especially you know not new fans, but fans like me who have been a fan of the game. Fight! Don't cheap shot a guy in the neck. Well, and, I mean, fight, fighting is fighting's almost almost irrelevant. You know, it's it's, it's, it's certainly it's almost not. So, so but, you know, I mean, it, it happens. It's Rasmus Dahlin isn't dropping his gloves. And Austin Matthews isn't dropping his gloves. So in a fit of frustration, he cross-checks the guy. Probably didn't mean to get him in the head or the neck or whatever, but he did. And that, he's paying, paying the consequences. And if you're if you're Austin Matthews and you feel like you're getting taken advantage of out there, he knows there's nobody on his team that's going to stick up for him. Wayne Simmons, Wayne Simmons, I guess, and I like Wayne. I think for his job, yeah, but he doesn't play on Matthew's line, obviously. I mean, Mitch Marner ain't jumping in there for no. But, but you you mentioned Wayne Simmons. He was never an enforcer, but he was certainly no. a tough guy. Yeah, yeah. And but they're, they're, let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. They're the Toronto Pretty Boys. That's <laughs> what they are. That's what they are. Right from the GM to the coach to the team. So. You know, you think they're beating Florida or Tampa in the first round? They're they're going out again in the first round. So Austin got frustrated. Uh, from what I understand, I've never met him, but from what I understand, he's a great individual, and he got frustrated. Period. End of story. Yeah, I don't hold anything against him. He, you know, he stuck up for himself. Maybe not in the way that you fashion or fans fashion. He's got to sit two games now, which might might be the two games he needed to get to 60 goals but in the process they're in the playoffs and he stuck up for himself in whatever way you want to call it and um out of frustration and it is what it is it was clearly a move out of frustration and i guess that's it that's been one of the more puzzling things about the nhl's direction in terms of fighting because fights are thrilling <laughs> It, you, you get the second big. It, obviously, goals are the biggest cheers. But I don't. I, I don't even know if that's the case. Fights could be the biggest cheers of the night, and no one really gets hurt with fights because there's no. you know there's you, you get tired quickly. You're in forty pounds of soaking wet equipment. 
you, you throw a few punches and you just hope that the refs kind of come over and break it up. And I wish that it would happen more because otherwise we get stuff like this and cheap shots like this. Yeah. And I, 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 for, it be, for it to be probably the biggest highlight coming out of the NHL over the, over this past weekend was really frustrating to me. Well, that's uh, the media. That's the media though too. I mean, but it's, it's the media, but it's, it's a, it's a solid clip to show. I've yeah, watched yeah. it like 20 times. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's a yep. dirty, dirty play. Yep, for sure. <laughs> and it's because that, that uh, for a guy like Austin Matthews, who is frustrated, doesn't feel like he has any other recourse except for to do a little cheap shot on, you know, the, what you call the Sabres franchise player, which um, it's funny that the Sabres have a franchise player. Well, he went first overall. I'm not saying he's a franchise player. He's a good player. But he's potentially, potentially. First overall pick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, final topic, Bob. Because <clears throat> you were the um, you were the uh, general manager of the Las Vegas Thunder. Yeah, that's right. Can you believe that? Nineteen. You know, when I was in high school, I just wanted to go to Vegas one time to watch a major boxing match. Yeah, or That was my deal way back when I was young. I've been here now. I've had my place here for twenty. This is going on my 29th year in Vegas. I, I've been to Vegas twice, Bob. Uh, yeah. I went once and just had a f- decent fun night. And then I went again during March Madness and I lost like $5,000. So I'm never going back to, to Vegas. It, it's a great sports town. It, people <laughs> yeah. did not realize they did, in the 90s with the Thunder on weekends, we would have 10, 11,000 people at the games in a basketball arena. Oh, I believe that. I totally believe so, that. You know, I knew that if it was done right, it would be a success here. And, of course, they followed with the Raiders. It looks like there's a good chance the Oakland A's might end up here. So Yeah, I mean, eventually players, Oakland has to move, right? Because it's, it's, it's over 2 million people. Now, so. Well, and then at any given time, you have how many tourists who are looking for oh, something for to do. sure. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. more sports fans here than any city in North America. Because everybody bets on the games. Exactly. And that's where we're... It's amazing now, dude, uh, to, to, to listen to sports radio or watch ESPN. Yeah. Every other ad is for something like FanDuel. Yeah. Or some sort of a sports yeah. betting app. And that that is the, that is the way that I think pro sports is going to sustain itself as idiots like us, idiots like me, who went all in on the University of Vermont back in 2008. Uh, will just give their money over to you know to gambling <laughs> apps. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you, so you <laughs> oversaw the career of um, a young man named Radic Bonk. Yeah, you know, who's who's there, there's there's like three players that I went all in on when it came to rookie cards. One was Eric Lindros. I mean, that was just, seemed to be a slam dunk. Uh, this one um, was from baseball. There's a guy named Kevin Moss. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he hit like 17 home runs in his first 100 at-bats. I'm like, oh, this guy's a stud, and he was a dud. Yeah. And then Radic Bonk. I thought Radic Bonk was – and it was an interview. That, um, it was an article, and I, I think it came out in the Hockey News. It had to have. And it was him talking about his confidence going into the NHL. Radic Bonk was uh, a first-round draft pick who – I don't – he didn't have Lindros-type expectations, but people thought he was going to come in and be spectacular. And he was uh, he was he was part of the team that you were the general manager for. Right. When, when you saw him play, what kind of career did you think he was going to have? He got, as I mentioned, drafted by Ottawa. 
What kind of career did you think he would have in the NHL? I thought he would be a successful power forward. I mean, he got 79, 80 points as a 17, 18-year-old in the International Hockey League. In those days, that was a pretty good league. Yeah. And, um, you know, big kid, thick, uh, heavy, no no hesitancy to play physical. I mean, uh, I saw him get four one night in uh, Peoria. I shook my head, and I thought, as you did, that this guy was going to be a star. Yeah. Now, the process, you know, you and I talked about, he had a pretty – Pretty successful career, 497 points. Yeah. You know, eighth most points from the 94 draft. Yeah, uh, but it and, was and, underwhelming. And so, you know, yeah. he had years where he had like 18 points. And, you know, when you go top, he's not a Doug Wickenheiser, but what do you, as a scout, you know, you're a scout and a GM and a coach. Yeah. When you see someone as dominant as Bonk, what Bonk yeah, the last year with the Thunder was just dominant. Yeah. And it was very, very exciting to have him come in. Had all the traits of someone that you think is going to go make a big splash in the NHL. And, then, and, and previously, Alexander Dagg had been also kind of what I would describe as a bust for the Senators. Um, is there is there like a, a, a common thread between players like that? Or is it just, hey, sometimes it doesn't work out? Um Big, heavy guy, heavy feet. So, you know, the difference when and it, the league at that time, you know, size was still a big factor and he was a big kid. Yeah. Um, but it was starting to transition more into speed. And today, if you can't skate, you can't play in the league. Love yeah. what there's certain games where you watch the whole game with your mouth open. You know, I got season tickets here in Vegas. And, um, you know, Florida's here on Thursday. I can hardly wait to see the game. <clears throat> but that was Bonky's biggest thing. He didn't have quick he, he didn't have quick feet. He didn't have quickness to his game. And I think he became more of a heavy, effective player in that regard. I think he got 20 goals four times. He, he like, like you and I went through it. And he yeah, was he eighth, eighth leading uh, eighth leading scorer out of the 84 draft. And three of those guys were, who did we say? Hey Duke, uh, Alfredson and Elias. Yeah. Three girls that went like 150. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 133 <laughs> yeah. To whatever. And so, but I, I, I don't look at, at Bonky as a bust. I thought he was a good NHL player. Um, was he, what was expected? Uh, no, but he he went third over on the draft behind Jovo and uh, Oleg Tverdovsky, and um, I, I he was when I picked him up at the airport, Zach. I'm looking for a 17 year old kid. I'm, th- this this guy had more hair than Smokey the Bear. Like he, he was he, he I couldn't believe he was only 17 years old. I think he shaved three times a day. So you know. <laughs> sometimes I had a good friend that coached in, in university and he said, he used to look at the maturity of the player, the physical maturity of the player. He was physically mature at 18. Is he getting any better? Or, or do you want a Tyson Yost who is still a boy having played five years in the league, but still has miles and miles ahead of him. That's just starting to mature physically now. So at Bonky was, Bonky was at his peak 
at 18. Yeah. And he took that to the National League, had a good career, great, great kid. Um, love first guy on, last guy off. Um, wanted to play in the NHL badly. And so um, I wouldn't say he was a bust. I would say he was probably a disappointment for the expectations. But overall, he had a pretty good career. In that. I think he got swept up too in the, in the whole Dag disaster. No, no. Well, Dag, Dag maybe, up there, maybe up there. I mean, to compare Bonk to Alexander Dag is not even fair. Not no, even- no. But I, I'm just saying, you know, Ottawa had these two big, splashy draft picks, and Dag, especially, was supposed to be something transformational. Like we thought Dag would, uh, you know, star in three feature films and also score 100 points. Yeah, Jonathan Druin, maybe. What's that? Jonathan Druin, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting to hear your perspective because I still got a bunch of Radic Bonk rookie cards that I can't sell to anybody. Um, I've got a whole box full of Las Vegas Thunder uh, Radic Bonk cards if you want one. No, I don't want one. <laughs> I got enough stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got to tell you the story about uh, – so um, – I'm running my own scouting service out of Saskatoon and, and, um, <clears throat> you know, trying to get back in the GM chair and, um, the guy from the international league office called me and said, are you interested in the GM job in, in, uh, in Vegas, the expansion team? I said, yeah, but I thought they already had a guy and they, they apparently Adam Keller out of Phoenix had committed to move to Vegas and the last minute changed his mind. So the, so the, uh, they're looking for a GM, and it's like the 1st of May. And uh, so I set up an interview. I'm on the airplane flying to Vancouver, flying to L.A. where the owners lived. And I'm reading the Hockey News, your favorite piece of paper. Oh, I love the Hockey News. And they got the projected top 10 picks for the 94 draft. Number one, Radic Bonk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. So I get in the interview, and uh, they said, the first question they asked me was, what would you do different than anybody else that we've interviewed for this job? I said, well, I think, uh, you know, we should sign the best young player in the world. We can't sign a, uh, a kid from Canada to the United States as part of the draft, as part of the, you know, they're signed with, with their junior teams or whatever. But I said, there's a kid named Radic Bonk out of Czech who's projected to be number one in the amateur draft. So anyway, make a long story short, I get the job. The first thing they said to me was, how soon can you sign Bonk? <laughs> Oh my God. Now I didn't even know who his agent was. I do it. I got lucky. Uh, um, Bonk, Bonk's agent, Mike Barnett was Gretzky's agent at the time. And I knew Mike really well. So that was lucky. Number one, lucky. Number two, uh, we put it all together. Uh, he came over to a, a hockey camp, uh, Chuck Grillo's hockey camp in Minnesota. I went up there met with his parents, met with him. Brought him into Vegas, signed him, and the rest is history. So, uh, I, you know the old saying: you got to be lucky to be good. Yeah. And, um, he was a, he was 
He was outstanding. He played with Patty Lefebvre and Ken Quinney. That line was unbelievable. We won as an expansion team. We won the President's Trophy. Yeah. Finished first over on the league and, and didn't win the playoffs. But, but, uh, um, no, he, he, was, had, he was thrilling. He was thrilling he, to watch. He, he, he was, he was, uh, but hard to handle at that, at that level. When you start thinking that the top, Seven times how many teams were in the league at that time? Top 150 defensemen are in the National Hockey League. How many guys were playing in the in the, in the International League? If they were big and heavy, they weren't quick enough. And if they were small, they couldn't handle them physically. So he he I give him credit. He came in here from day one. He was a stud, and he played like a stud all year. Final question, Bob. Yep. We'll go back to Philly here. Yep. Should we? How long should we tank for, or should we tank? Because there's there's been a lot of talk about who's who's available and who's not available in terms of trade, and it seems like three names kind of come up: uh, Couturier, Farabee, and Hart. I would add Atkinson to that list. Might as well keep yes. him around. Me too. But Anthony, I, I think Sanheim's got a lot more in the. I, I believe me, I. Simon has this knack more than any other player. <laughs> he knows when to pinch, which seems like a small thing, but there's just there's been so many instances that don't necessarily end up in goals this year. But it's like Sandheim is where he should be as a as an uh, offensive defenseman, and I don't see any that from anybody else. From, well, he should uh, be running your power play. He should be. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not even on our power play, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. First or second unit. It's absurd. Um, but tanking is a thing that happens more, I think, in the, the, uh, the NBA than it does in the NHL. And it, you know, the Sixers obviously tanked for a couple of years and now we have Joel Embiid and it didn't, it didn't, the process as it's been called, didn't work the way I think we had the Ben Simmons drama, Markel Fultz kind of forgot how to shoot. And hopefully he has a good career down there in Orlando. But, um, I think with the NBA building up first round draft picks, means a lot more because the roster is so small. Should the Flyers rebuild or reload? I think is the question. Is there is there a chance to become instantly competitive next year? Because there's some people that believe that, that if we bring on this free agent, that free agent. But then there's others that think like, okay, we're, we need such a massive overhaul. Let's just be bad for three years and then you know cross our fingers for 2027 or 2026 at the earliest. Um, this was the only time you'll ever hear me say rebuild. <laughs> yeah. Like the word, it sends a bad message to the fans. It sends a bad message to the guys in the dressing room. Right. And so from that standpoint, I don't like that word. So reload, we're going to talk reload and we're going to talk, you know, obviously they got to get a, where are they going to pick? If you tank in the NHL, you're not guaranteed the first pick. You're probably right. guaranteed one of the first three picks, one of the top five this year. I mean, it, it's it's a there's a lot of good players, not one. Great but obviously, player. next year we have this young kid Connor Bedard, who seems to be 
the next he's, Connor McDavid. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's as a 16 year old, the way he played in the juniors was absurd. But that's that's not this draft. That's the next draft, and already as a franchise, we're seeing just waning interest in attending the games. I mean, it, it, it would why not really keep bad. all the players? Why not keep all the players and pick first again then? Um, because of, I, I guess, because of salary, because of, uh, I, I honestly, you know what it is? It's it, why not keep them? Because change at least feels exciting. And I yeah. think that, that that's why we got excited about this, this off season, like why we got rid of ghost and brought in Yandel or why we got rid of Voracek and brought in Atkinson. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Change feels like, oh, there's a new reason for optimism. They got, you know, there's Twitter hashtags every, every year, Bob, uh, for, the Flyers in last year was anytime, anywhere, which is the worst hashtag ever because games happen at a certain time at a certain place. It made no sense. And then this year, the hashtag was bring it to broad. And I think people bought in. I bought in. Like there's, especially with the way the Flyers got started, um, they, they were 6-2-2 two and two and beat some really good teams in the first couple of games, first yeah. 10 games. And then, yeah, everything fell apart. We're on the precipice of, of another 10-game losing streak. Uh, but movement feels optimistic, right? Like you bring in new exciting things yeah. uh, and new is always exciting. But if you brought back the same roster, like there's, there's not one play. Carter Hart here is God. Like he's, he's untouchable. He's, um he's the one person, even last year when he struggled that no one is really. And I think this is, this is a genuine and, and Right. It, no one is is willing to criticize because he's just put his heart on the line. Oh, God, yeah. He's hard, yeah. hard, but he he's played as he's played so well this year. And other than that, uh, I know there's could be a lot of lamenting about Giroux's tenure ending here. I'm I'm okay with it because again, we do need some sort of breath of fresh air. Hundred percent. But you, if you were the GM, if you're Chuck Fletcher, uh, who's going to be the GM for I don't think that much longer. Um, you have to make moves. You can't just. You're. I was only joking to say to keep the same team. But but it, but but that also kind of makes sense too. Yeah. yeah. In the way that you're saying. Well, it. Let's like, go through. Why it. not? Let's go through it. Who are you keeping? You're keeping Couturier. Okay. I, I, I if I got a good offer for him, I trade him too. I, I'm keeping Couturier. I'm keeping Konechny, even though he's had a. I don't know why. Konechny is. I, I I don't know what. I don't know what he brings to this team. You're supposed to bring toughness. But no, he's, he's not tough. He's too small. But he brings energy, and he hasn't done that. But you got to keep some guys. So let's say we keep Couturier, Konechny, Atkinson, Faraby, Lawton. I, I and I don't get the Faraby love, honestly. Well, he he he's a prospect. They've all struggled. You can't. But all our prospects are like twenty five now. <laughs> well, but you can't put them all in the same pot, being part of the same culture and the same production. They're a terrible team. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Allison should be on the team. I don't know what's happened to him. Well, he's just he's snake bitten. He just gets hurt constantly. Oh, okay. He had a and wrist laceration he, at a Phantoms well, game. Like you got you got to work with Progroff. You're stuck with Rich Delinen. You got Stanheim. Um, you got York. There's there's four D, and you got Hart. So what did we name ten guys? So that's yeah. that's that's, that's, that's the rest of the reload, huh? That's your core. Yeah. And and that's got. I mean, you picked it. 
That's who you're the, going weird, the weird thing is, Bob, is that Carter Hart's going to – every year, you know, we give out the Bobby Clark trophy to uh, the MVP of the team. Carter Hart's going to win it this year without a doubt. Yeah, you should. Second place will be Zach McEwen. Yeah, Zach. Well, they, you know, it's funny. Like, I I like Zach McEwen. I know his story a little better than others through people that I know. And I was surprised. I think he was a guy that got pigeonholed a little bit in Vancouver is the guy that couldn't play when he brings some value. Mm-hmm. And the other kid that, that the other tough kid that's playing in uh, San Jose Gadjevich, I mean, they had their toughness looked after for 10 years and they let them both go. And if, if, if uh, Vancouver lacks anything, they've had, they've, they're, they've made a hell of a run at it. it it's probably toughest toughness. Luke Shen's tough, but you know, Vancouver's never been a tough team ever. But, Hey, Ever well, when Tiger, when Tiger Williams played, maybe toughness is part of the game, whether people want to admit it or not. I'm not talking about fighting, I'm talking about com- physical commitment. So that's where the Flyers are. Yeah, and you know, when you take Nolan Patrick over Kale McCarr, you're in deep, deep trouble. So you cannot make those ma- because the draft is the key to your success. Yeah. Well, Stromer, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, um, it's been fun, huh? Episode really? one of the reload. Uh, we're gonna do this once a week, and uh, just uh, it's obviously gonna be Philly centric. But next week, Strom, uh, Stromer, I, w- I really want to talk to you about the Rangers because um, I, if there was one team that I envied right now in terms of their future, I think it's the New York Rangers. Igor Shesterkin. <laughs> Igor Shesterkin they're not that good Igor Shesterkin <laughs> they, they got some, they got a core there they got a nice I play. am I I think that they're going to put a they're they're going to put together a run where they're going to be in the finals or win the cup Igor Shesterkin I I I'm I'm a, I'm not a fan of the Rangers I hate the Rangers but I'm a fan yeah. of their roster yeah, yeah, they're, uh, you know, they, they're a couple of skilled, I'll tell you what, they're a couple of skilled forwards of, away from taking a run at it this year because of the goalie. The goalie's great. Yeah, yeah they, Lundqvist was just seamlessly replaced. As, uh, well, yeah, isn't that right. unbelievable? I mean, it didn't take them long to change from Henrik Henrik to Igor Igor in the, I know. In the Madison Square Garden, did it? I know, it didn't, yeah. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, yeah. It's the Reload Episode 1. How bad teams get good and good teams get better. That's going to be the the focus of this show. Uh, We're on the high and wide network. You can find us anywhere. Podcasts are found except for Pandora. I don't know why, Bob. I just can't get on Pandora. They're just a pain in the ass. But uh, other than that, uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. It's been an honor and a privilege to share our thoughts with the hockey fans. Thanks, buddy.